This is a Momentum Media production. Nerd alert! Property Nerds, <laughs> the home for data-driven property investors, where we uncover Australia's hot and cold markets, latest headlines and trends. Hello, everyone. This is Arjun here. I'm co-host of the Property Nerds podcast. I'm the head of research at Investigate Buyers Agency and joined by the fabulous Lee Paliwal. Hey, Lee. Hey, hey. So, uh, Lee, we've got some exciting things happening in the media and it's, I guess, exciting to some and maybe not not exciting to others. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. I think for those who are hoping for a bit more supply to come out to the market and maybe get some of their pre-approvals through and actually buy something, it might be exciting for them based on headlines. And then for others, they're like, oh, what does this mean in terms of prices? So today's topic, Lee, what are we talking about? The housing supply issue in Australia is our topic. Yeah. And so this is going to be a little bit anti-headlines, isn't it? Right. Because right now, the narrative, what's the narrative out there right now in the mainstream media, the headlines we're seeing? Uh, Don't buy property now. The market is slowing. Banks predictions and media talking about, you know, supply coming back. Yeah, there's a lot of different things, but it mainly is the market is slowing down. Well, when we break down supply, what are the different types of supply when people think of housing? So there's three types of dwellings or supply types, I should say. Construction of dwellings, newly built dwellings, which are already complete. So that's the construction of newly built. That's the first one you've got. And then what's the second one? So construction meaning to be built, not yet built. Yeah. Existing built dwellings and then rental dwellings. Right. So we got, hey, this is the supply that we're going to build out there. This is the supply that's existing built for sale once more. And then this is the supply of rental properties, like vacancy rates and stuff. Did I get that right? Yes. Right. So, I mean, when we look at that, I think um, what's going to be interesting is kind of seeing what we're seeing versus what the articles are saying, right? Because that's Correct. going to be the big call out for today's episode is diving deep into the supply. But when it comes to supply, Lee, I guess it all has to start somewhere before the house even comes in the equation. It starts with lending. So what's been happening in the lending world right now? Yeah. So as I do, I usually go through the ABS lending indicators each month. So uh, beginning of this month, March, January, 2022 numbers have come through. Yeah. And so what they're showing are as follows. So in terms of overall housing, so total housing has rose by 2.6%, and that's to a record high of $33.7 billion, which was 18.2% higher compared to the same time a year ago. Huge. And so that's kind of point one, right, which is if housing usually has a lag of 6 to 12 months, and we've had a rise in housing on Jan N data. By 18.2%. By the 2.6%, right? And then um, ago, it was sorry. 18.2% higher than one year ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, you get a record value of housing data from finance perspective. That doesn't really tell the same picture as what the media is saying, is it? Well, correct. It's going higher, not downwards, which is slower. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> What are investors up to these days from their finance perspective? Yeah, they've hit a record high again. So investor housing rose by 6.1%. And so that's a record high of $11 billion. And that has drove the rise in total new housing loan commitments, which I mentioned before. And then... 
obviously then then there's owner occupiers and housing has rose by 1% to 22.7 billion for the owner occupiers so owner occupiers still the usual double the lending power of you know investors right now out there but investors with a new record i mean you know lee we we spoke about i guess offline as well who the finance take up is truly coming from and where this boom really started and everyone's been giving investors slack in terms of, oh, you investors are rising up all the prices and, you know, popping up all the demand in this market. It's not so much the homeowners who are trying to buy a house. But when we think about that, the investor trends and home buyer trends, the finance times in which like they actually broke previous records, who led the race and when did the owner occupier record get broken versus the investor record getting broken? Yeah, so you nearly pretty much answered the question for me. So (laughs) in August 20 is when the peak started for owner-occupier lending, and that's essentially when all that broke all previous records, and that's what is driving the primary increase, right, is owner-occupiers. So, yeah, so the peak peak debt is coming from all the owner-occupiers, not the investors. (laughs) That was the big gain to start off the boom, and then – um. I think when it comes to investor finance, me and you, we're looking into this and 2015 in April was when the investor finance was its last record or peak. And I believe that we only passed that peak of investor lending in November 2021, which means that for November 2021 to start the peak of investor lending, or the new peak, and that's when now we're beyond the previous highs, it truly shows that investors are playing catch-up for such low lending in between 2015 and now. And this is where the owner-occupiers were the boom starters back in 2020. So for all those investor bashing, we didn't start the fire. The big boom really picked off in you know 2020, and that was um, largely driven by owner-occupier finance, not yeah. investors. But now investors are in the surge and you know rising by 6.1 in comparison to the owner-occupier 1% rise. So yeah, it's great to see, I guess, just those trends of finance because that clearly shows us what's in store for the next six months is still some very elevated lending levels transitioning to price levels. What's happening in the refinance space? I always find that interesting, especially with the variations in like fixed rates. What are you seeing? So refinances are definitely still at huge levels. Okay. But they are starting to trend down since August of last year, 2020. So that could be off the back of a couple of reasons. People who already potentially have great fixed rates. Mm. So now obviously we're seeing, you know, there are a lot of mentions of those fixed rates going up for at least, I think, five months now. Mm. Uh, It's been happening. So fixed rates are going up. And so, you know, those people are quite happy and content with those rates that they got back then prior to these rate increases. Also, we may be seeing some shift of more competitive variable rates coming up based on what we've been seeing in our business as fixed rates go up. But that's a side note. The main thing is those mentions of um, what's happening from the big lenders or majority of lenders with the rates has seen refinances tapering off a lot since then in comparison to overall for the last year. Yeah, it's a strange moment here when you're like on a, say, a 2.7% or 2.8% fixed loan and someone goes, great, we can refinance your home loan for you to 3%. Like, and that's probably why there's a bit of a park in some of these refinances where people aren't moving around the fixed rates. Because a couple of years back, people were willing to break their fixed terms, get a bit of cash back, move their loan, and 
shave off a half a percent, make it cheaper, right? Because mm. the falling falling fixed rates. But um, I think the main thing that's you know also something that we realized about the lending data was that many people counted lending data going backwards because of that result between July and October last year. And people thought, hey, that's the end of the boom last year, July to October, lending's triggering down. But if you draw a curve closely with um, the lockdowns, a big hundred plus days of lockdown during that period last year, that's kind of where the lending slowed down a little bit. So awesome. I think that clearly shows, Lee, that you know, when we're thinking of analyzing Australia's current housing supply, the demand is still at record highs for finance January ending. Yes, we're in March now, but look, one or two months doesn't completely game change everything, especially with people not finding houses immediately that have lots of pre-approvals and things like that, still looking for stuff. So that really gives some context to, to say that maybe the housing supply analysis is still going to be met with some ferocious demand, isn't it? When you've got record high lending. Mm. Yeah. Now I'd love to talk through, I guess, you know, some of the headlines in the media that we've been seeing. And this is really about the research that we're going through today. And this is going to really give people a different tone and a viewpoint of how to look at data. I think when you come off the supply levels that we've seen fall from last year till now, um, actually last year versus all the years prior, what's going to be very, very difficult for people to kind of go through and they're going to get caught up in the headlines is that year-on-year data, when you come off the most peak periods of growth, is always interesting. I find that very fascinating. And so I'll give you an example, Lee, like, When you have last year's tight levels of supplies and they're an absolute crunch and they get 25, 30% growth rates across Australia, what happens is that people from a media perspective will commonly use this time last year. Mm -hmm. And this time last year as a data set is going to be a little bit broken because when you're coming off such peak levels and you say, see 20% more supply or 10% more supply, and you this, throw in a pandemic in between that. Exactly, well, right? So and you're going to use really like, yeah, you're going to use. to normal figures. Totally, totally. And you're going to use this time last year data. If you've got the lowest levels of supply seen in 10 years, last year, and then now that grows up by 10%, it's going to tell a very interesting story. It's going to say the story like all the supplies coming on. But guess what? The lowest level of supply from last year is still 40 to 50% lower than five years ago, six years ago in many cities. So this is where it's going to catch many people off guard. They're going to think that the supply is coming on and they're going to notice some supply coming on, but it's higher than boom conditions, but not normal conditions. Meaning we're still well below normal conditions of supply in the years prior and pre-COVID. And this is really what we're going to dive through today. So Let's go through maybe the first line of supply, which is when we broke down on three periods of supply, we had new builds, existing stock, and then rental stock. So building approvals, that's been some interesting data. So ABS building approvals, what did you find there, Lee, when you were checking that out? Cool. So the data shows the number of dwellings approved in Australia as a whole fell by 27.9% in January in seasonally adjusted terms. And so this follows a 9.8% rise in December. And so private sector house approvals fell by 17.5% in January. 
So it went to 8,712 following a 0.3% decline in December. So private sector dwellings excluding houses, so units, fell by 43.6% following a 29.6% rise in December. That's the overall picture from Australia point of view. So with the supply pieces falling, I think, you know, what's important to call out is that the new build and construction activity that's getting hammered has a few things going against it. One is the data piece demonstrates the sugar rush that was there from home builder. Because when we look at that 20 to 21 uh, building approvals data, it was really, really interesting to see that that 20 to 21 saw a substantial spike, like massive houses, June, 2020, 8,339 houses at peak levels, which were, I think, April, April 2021, 15,250. So almost double the amount of, you know, housing supply that came in. And so when we look at pre-COVID and we say, take it to, you know, 2018, 19, they were hovering around eight to 10,000 pretty consistently from 2013. Mm-hmm. That eight to nine to 10,000, you could call it. Yeah. So these numbers are going to be that, A, it's showing two things. One is there was a huge sugar rush of home builder, home builder, construction, all that sort of activity came into the pipeline. So we may see that start to flow on 2023, 2024, but I still think it's not enough dwellings when we start to talk about existing dwellings um, and how much shortage has come there. But the second thing is that sugar rush of chucking out cash and hoping it fixes and solves everything. Yes, it kept a floor on builders and kept many alive in the game. That's definitely important. But we've just fallen back down, as you pointed out, like there's been a huge drop in supply. So for those people looking at analyzing supply, well, number one is your private approved houses are down to the 8,700 number. Mm -hmm. That is below your 2014 to 20. 18 trend hovering of nine to 10,000. So now we're below pre-COVID you know, levels. So we're still back down to that lower confidence in going out there and getting a whole bunch of building approvals. But the second thing is um, that's not just by you know the market demand forces. It's also just by choice because people are scared to build at the moment when you think of A, all the dwellings, timings that are just out of whack with all the supply constraints globally. And the stories of builders going bust and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, very interesting data that you shared there, Lee. Um, in terms of, I guess, you know, that value of the building approvals, when you start to split it by states, were there any states that had a, I guess, a slight increase in building approvals when you think of all the states over that last data set? Yes. So... Um, I think Queensland we were talking about, right? Only Queensland by 0.5. Every other state is in a negative. Yeah, so that's a that, clear That's sign. the only positive in terms of going up for your for approvals and not even a whole percent. But, yeah, I mean. Yeah, so we're going to see no kind of, I mean, I think there will be that sugar rush of building, home builder building approvals that will come back into the market. So there might be some gluts that show up in micro markets across Australia. So be mindful of that because houses went up from eight to 20,000 almost or 15,000, 16,000, sorry. So it doubled. So that double approval of houses will flow into the market. But if you actually take it from 18 to 2020, that fell by an average of 2000 a year. So that makes up by 
4,000 of that 8,000 increase. So in net terms, we only had an 8,000 increase above the trend from 2013 to 2018. So yeah, I think that the home builder sugar's off. You can see the approval trends fall off and the confidence still remains to be quite low in terms of people going out there and wanting to build houses. So what does that mean? New housing supply, if we're looking at that one of three that we talked about, the trajectory is back down, home builders off, We'll have a little bit of a sugar rush flow into the market over the next year or two from that eight to 16,000 jump during you know, COVID stimulus, but the picture is coming back down to a dwelling deficiency as we're below our trends from there. So don't expect a whole wave of new supply to come on from new builds outside of that small rush from home builder. So now we look at rental vacancy. So Lee, what's the picture on the rental vacancy when it comes to the second type of supply, which is rental supply. So rental vacancy rates have hit a 16-year low of 1.3% nationally. Wow, that's scary. That's crazy, right? Scary, yeah. Um, And that's down- Hardly properties. That's nothing. Yeah, yeah. And so that's down by 0.3 for January compared to the previous month. So yeah, it is scary. So having a look here- what happens when you look at the, um, I guess, the lowest capital? What was the lowest capital out of all of them? Uh, it was... I think it was Adelaide, wasn't it? Adelaide at 0.7 or yes, Hobart? 0.5. Yeah, wow. So we had Hobart at 0.3, mm-hmm. which is huge. And so Hobart at 0.3 is, is little to nothing. And then we only had three capital cities over 1%. So Sydney... Melbourne and Brisbane. 2.1%. Melbourne, 2.7, and Brisbane, 1.1. So if Sydney drops down a little bit more, it would hit the balanced mark. So at Investigate, our research suggests that 2% is the balanced mark, not 3. Melbourne is still not in a healthy position at 2.7, but it has been recovering. Jan 2021 at 4.4, December 2021 at 3.2, and now at Jan 2022 at 2.7. So the trajectory is moving in the right direction. So Lee, that's a lot of cities below 1% then just out of our capitals. And the majority of the regionals are below 1% as well. So I guess, what does that mean for rents? It's hard to find <laughs> a rental property for people. So basically with all the re- rental vacancies over January and the drops that were larger than expected, it's worse for tenants. So the weekly rental listings in February to date have fallen further for our largest capital city. So it's just going to, yeah, it's an acute shortage of rental properties for those people looking to rent. And so, yeah, the shortage has been transitioning into larger surges in weekly rents across the country. Yeah. So that's a big surge in weekly rents. I mean, we were looking at, you know, numbers and I think I'm just trying to remember one scenario I remember one scenario where we had a a client and a rental appraisal was given to them. I think it was in Coffs Harbor. The rental appraisal was 500 and, I don't know, 680 to 710. And they decided to go for 780, which at first I had had no answer as to how they even came up with that number or what made them feel confident. But then they saw something online. They're like, we didn't want to lose out. No, I mean, this is the the property buyer. They're like, let's try 780, see oh. how it goes. And so they tried 780, 785, and they got it in the first open home. So it's almost $100 more per week than appraisal, which is huge. 
And then you've but got that the, goes to the tenant's mindset. The the to be tenant mm. is they want to snap it up. They want to snap it up. It was That's, first yeah. opened, done and dusted, and uh, then you've got places out in the regional Queensland markets of Bundaberg, Harvey Bay, Toowoomba, and so it's very competitive. Very competitive. Yeah. So uh, it's unreal. I mean, even in Adelaide, um, just to give people some context, I remember a couple of years back. Max, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, a three-bedroom, one-bathroom in the Burbs was renting for oh, maybe low fours, and now we're already up to 500 a week. So that's $5,000 plus a year in increase for tenants and also impact from owners. So that's huge. What that means, though, is that when we break down a supply analysis, we talked about new builds and the sugar rush of home builder falling off. Now we've got rental vacancy. So the 16-year low. So we've also got rising finance. So now we've got more people trying to buy, mm-hmm. less properties available for rent, and the sugar rush is off the building, and that's tumbling back down to well below pre-COVID levels. So, Lee, let's go through the, the recent report by PropTrack. So PropTrack, also known as, I guess, realestate.com.au, and this is where people are going to get quite conflicted with the listings report, right? So... Could you give us your thoughts in terms of what's happening on the prop track listings report that you read? So property markets around Australia have had a busy February. And so they've been continuing the strong start for 2022. So essentially new listings nationally on realestate.com.au have picked up by 27.3% month on month in February. And also new listings were 13.5% higher than they were February in 2021. So that's the part where people are going to go, oh my God, lots of listings, listings are everywhere. And this is the key where many make mistake with data. At the start of this episode, I was talking about the importance of not looking at a peak period of returns and using year-on-year data in the year following the peak. So short answer is yes, we've come off the peak of gains. We've come off the peak of extremely tight uh, you know, housing conditions and low stock. But when we think of using it now versus this time last year, it's not going to tell you the true picture of how bad the supply crisis is in Australia. Yes, there's more people now able to have access to listings because that's clearly there. New listings were higher, Correct. New listings were higher month on month and this time last year, correct? But this is where we start to look at it, you know, from a research perspective from this time pre-COVID, this time last year, this time three years ago, this time five years ago, because the key is that when you're looking at data, if you go from this time five years ago, the problem there is that you look at it and you go, whoa, like that supply is way lower. But if you look at it from this time to last year, you're going to look at it from last year and go, oh, wow, supply is way higher. But but when you look at it in comparison to five years ago, it's still quite low. If it's higher than this time last year, and this time last year produced 25% gains across many cities, you know, don't think that it's a sign of pressure relief to that extent where you can go, now prices fall. If you look to this time five years ago when listings were, were substantially higher, and five years ago, listing levels that were lower than today are causing market declines, then one could assume that declines are on its way if the listings are much higher than five years ago where there was a decline in, say, a certain given market. So this is the key to looking at that lens from just year on year and and um, looking at it from 
the year prior. So I think also people mobility was another big thing for this Feb. A lot of mobility, borders opening, people more mobile, less restrictions, a bit sense of normality. I mean, I can't even know, can't even say if we can use that word anymore, but that's definitely one thing to point out with that data because it can be deceiving when you look at it from this time last year and the biggest well, supply crunch. That is the biggest rises since what, December? Yeah. It's massive. Yeah. So it's massive in terms of what we're used to from last year, but still extremely short in supply when we compare it to the years prior. Were there any cities that stood out for you that released a lot of lot of supply in, in comparison, Lee? So the highest supply out of all the states for month on month was Canberra for 44%. And with that 44%, that's coming off like January, right? So January coming onto Feb, it's actually fairly normal for month-on-month supply to increase quite rapidly. So that can be deceiving. What about the year-on-year? Because I think that's a little bit more of an interesting picture. Where was the one that stood out the most? That was actually Darwin for 26.7%. Yeah. And this is one where I've, I've actually been recently asked to comment on Darwin a couple of times. And this is happening in Perth as well. So Perth is up 23.9% on year-on-year listings. And what I'm noticing is that markets that were stung quite heavily in the past, for example, the mining boom, people are using as this good time to be able to get out in their assets because they are getting to break even finally. And so with that break even, what people are realizing that, okay, hey, I've been able to recoup it because of these 20, 30% gains might be a good time to get out. And so from a year on year perspective, you're suddenly seeing a big jump in um, a few of the cities, even in some of the regionals where they've had some declines in the past. So that's kind of what I'm seeing on the year on year as well. So interesting that Darwin definitely is telling that picture alongside with Perth, where people are kind of dishing out their assets that they want to get rid of after kind of having some years of being stung. But this is where we come back to that point, right, Lee, which is, the last year's data and using year on year off the back of a big boom versus what we're looking at from, you know, the huge change in, in the country's data. So when we looked at the country's data of five years ago versus now, and then three years ago versus now the national data, we use SQM research and the SQM research that we looked at told us a very interesting picture. And What we found was that when it came to national data and looking at it from the years prior, the shortage in dwellings is actually far worse than what many people are led to believe. So right now, when you look at year-on-year prop track data, it shows that we're seeing 20% jumps from this time last year, 14% jumps. And of course, we're going to see a jump from this time last year when you think of listings data in a boom period coming off to slightly less of a boom than the year that was. But what we're seeing is that nationally, February ending, there was 154,000 dwellings listed for sale. This time three years ago, there were 266,000 dwellings for sale. So this is now pre-COVID. So it's all about giving that context. So yes, in recent times, the headlines are showing supplies back, supplies surging, But when you look at it from three years ago, pre-COVID and now, we're still a third less in supply, which is just huge. Almost 110,000 dwellings less than three times three years ago is up for sale at February ending. So what that shows is when people are reading into the headlines, it's important to look at 
year on year is not going to be helpful when we're coming off the back of the tightest conditions in Australia. All it simply means is that there's a little bit more stock than this time last year. But when you look at the true position of housing supply, we are substantially short. 154,000 dwellings listed for sale now versus three years ago, 266,000. Now, when we look at the peak data, Lee, I know you were looking at the peak number of listings for houses across Australia over the last decade. What's the highest we've reached in the last decade? When, when did that hit? So the peak number of listings for houses across Australia for the last decade was in November 2012, and that was at 308,000 houses. So I guess what this shows is that the picture in Australia is very different to what the mainstream media is casting out there. And so houses for sale are the lowest they've ever been in the last 10 years in Australia during this property boom we're in. And when you see these headlines say, you know, listings have coming, it's really important to have these contexts between the supreme short term versus the big picture, which obviously you just went through. Yeah, I think this is going to be the key for people looking at data, um, which is the data right now for every month that there's even slightly more supply is going to look like it's huge supply in comparison to this time last year. But we just cannot use this time last year as a measure. You know, seeing 25% come down to 20% growth, that's still life-changing. Even if it came down to 10% growth for some locations, that's still life-changing. So I think the key thing here when people are looking at it is to now look at it and go, all right, well, if we are likely to see some slowdowns, where could those slowdowns start to show? Because in CoreLogic's recent data release, we are seeing what I would even label a three-speed market. We're still seeing subdued results in units and townhouses in certain areas. So that's one speed. Then we've got the second one, which is the markets around our regional markets and our smaller capitals, Hobart, Adelaide, Brisbane, and many of our regions. They're still running at 1% to 2% months, which is just huge. And then you've got our biggest of biggest capitals. And this is what's going to trip many people up. The biggest of biggest capitals are slowing down and pretty much close to zero in the most recent time or just a bit above and you know the recent one of the most recent month that we saw but you have to come back to why so when we looked at that listings data we commented on how it's 110,000 listings short from this time 3 years ago nationally but when we say look at sydney sydney's listing data is quite interesting so houses in sydney when we're looking at it was around 15,000 houses for sale and that's the most recent feb ending data and then when you go to taking it back from the city of Sydney, going to 2019 February, so again, pre-COVID, it's lower, 21,618. But this number here is December 2019, which is just before COVID sort of kicked in, is fairly similar to then. Uh, we had December 2019 sit at about, I think, 15 or 13,300, and then now it's about 14,200. So... Pre-COVID, we're back up to those similar levels of supply for total property listings in the city of Sydney. Now, when you look at it in other areas, say if I bring up Adelaide, for example, quite a different picture. In 2019, you've got that December period sitting at 12,370 listings in Adelaide, and that comes down to 7,200. So now we're seeing 12,000 come down to 7,000. That's a 
a much bigger dip. Now on that Sydney data, I don't think that was all of Sydney that we read out. That was a smaller cut of Sydney because Sydney is divided into multiple parts of Sydney. But this just shows the interesting landscape where some supply levels are back up to similar levels pre-COVID, where other cities in our smaller capitals are still 20 to 30% lower than pre-COVID. So as you're out there navigating through the headlines, our biggest tip here and our assessment of supply is that building approvals are still falling off the back of that home builder stimulus. Finance levels are picking up quite heavily and still quite high based on January ending data. Uh, Record highs actually, investors as well. And then lastly, our rental markets are in a huge deficiency with rents likely to grow and still grow at rapid levels due to the trend of where rents are. And existing housing supply with Feb ending data is still substantially lower than what we're seeing in you know three years ago, almost 110,000 listings less for houses than three years ago. So it shows that we are still amongst some of the tightest conditions Australia has seen. And what you'll need to be mindful of is where of those areas across Australia where price growth has been phenomenal, affordability might be starting to get stretched. Their local economies aren't as strong or diverse. There is a leakage of people, people leaving, and combining that with supply or levels of listings in line with where they were pre-COVID. That's kind of where the markets that may show up, and we just gave an example there, which is going to show that the national result or certain markets aren't as strong as they were the year prior. So that's it from us at The Property Nerds, and I hope you guys found tremendous value from diving into supply data building approvals, existing supply and rental supply. And thank you as always, Lee, for your deep dive into the finance data. Very, very helpful. And I think next time we're going to have a a guest on to join us. uh, Are we going to mention it now or wait for people to tune in? It's a bit of a surprise. What industry? All right. Well, we've got a a demographer. I think that's how I pronounce it, a demographer, right? So um, we're looking to have them on for, for next episode and that's going to be fun. Awesome. Well, tune in next time, guys, and we'll speak to you then. Game over.